The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. All right, John chapter 8. John chapter 8 this morning, we continue in our series called I Am that we began last week. We're looking at the seven statements that Jesus made in the book of John that started with I Am. And if you've been around here for a while, you know that we constantly say we want to point you to Jesus first and foremost. And that's what this series is about. The Bible tells us all of us with unveiled faces beholding the glory of God are transformed from one glory to another. And that's what this series is about. When we look to Jesus, we're transformed. And so this series is all about pointing us to Jesus, who he is, who he said he was. And I think you're going to be encouraged this morning. So no um, illustration to launch us into the sermon this morning. I, there's so much that's good here, even though it's one verse. I want us to jump right into John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. And we're going to end in verse 12. Verse 12 says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's the reading of God's word this morning, our only verse this morning. The context here in John chapter 8 is that Jesus is teaching again publicly early on in his ministry. He's teaching publicly. He's teaching in the temple here in John chapter 8. There's an event going on at the temple called the Feast of Tabernacles. According to John chapter 8, verse 20, according to verse 20, it says, He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. So we know from history, we know from temple records that Jesus is teaching in a very specific place in the temple called the Court of the Women. And the temple included a very large area, but this area was specific and it was only um, people that would be in this area would only be men and women who were Jews, men and women who had been converted to Judaism. And so in this very particular place where Jesus is teaching, he makes this statement, I am the light of the world. It's a striking statement when we understand what's going on in the court of the women. The people listening to Jesus would have immediately connected with what he said. And here's the thing. People would have had this theological understanding of this concept of light and darkness. The Bible mentions this all throughout from beginning to end. The book of Colossians tells us we are delivered from the domain of darkness. Ecclesiastes tells us that a fool walks in darkness. Isaiah says, humanity substitutes darkness for light. So Jesus could have stood here in the temple and he could have used this concept of light and darkness and people would have immediately resonated with it. Because oftentimes, even today, we still use this concept of light and darkness to sort of describe humanity's devastating situation when we are living in sin. But listen to me. There's far more happening here in the court of the temple when he uses this metaphor. So there's the Feast of Tabernacles that's happening here at this time. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, what would happen in the court of the women was that there would be these massive candelabras. There would be these giant lamps that would be lit every single night 
in the court of the women. History tells us that the wicks would have been made of the priest worn out garments. And so this light would illuminate the area of the temple. And so people are gathered here in the court of the women and they're praising and they're singing and they're dancing. Historians tell us that literally the light filled the court of the women. Every night they would light these huge lamps. They would burn all night. And Jews would call what's happening here the illumination of the temple. And so this feast that's happening, the lighting of these lights that's happening would remind the Jewish people, if you know your Old Testament, it would remind the Jewish people of how God was with them when they were in the wilderness, making their way towards the promised land. The Bible says they were wandering, but God didn't leave them out wandering, not knowing where they were going. Numbers chapter nine tells us that they were guided by a pillar of cloud by day. You remember what it said? And that cloud would turn to fire at night. And so as they're making their way towards the promised land, this pillar of fire is guiding the people of Israel. And so that's what they're celebrating here. That's what they're memorializing here in the court of the women as they light these giant lamps. As they uh, memorialize this, this illumination of the temples, they would burn all night. Some historians have this fascinating description of what's happening here. Some historians have this fascinating description of what they see is going on here. When these lights are lit at night, some historians describe them like a diamond that, that floods the night sky that can be seen over the temple, but it can be seen all throughout Jerusalem. It would be this vivid memorial of this pillar of fiery light that would remind them of God leading their people through the wilderness. Some historians say that while this is going on at night during the Feast of the Tabernacles, they would literally be quoting Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people. This is, this is prophetic language. This Old Testament passage in Isaiah chapter 42 is pointing towards a future Messiah. It's pointing toward Jesus. The last verse in verse 6. I will point you to be a covenant for the people and a, listen to what it says, a light to the nations. Some historians say they would also be quoting in the court of temple at this time, Isaiah 49, 6. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. Listen to what the scripture says in Isaiah 49. I will also make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Imagine for a moment, listen to me. Imagine for a moment Jesus standing in this place, in this court of the temple. The only people that could be in this particular area of the temple would be Jews, would be people who had converted to Judaism. And so they understood the Old Testament writings about their fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers who were in the wilderness, and God would guide them by this light. Imagine the scene here. We, we don't know the exact moment. Maybe what's happening here is that these lamps had already been lit and they're glowing above the temple, right? Maybe, maybe, um, maybe they haven't been lit. Jesus is standing here during the day and the lights have been extinguished. And Jesus stands here in the court of the women and he says to them, I am the light of the world. 
I will never go out. If you follow me, the light will never go out. You will never walk in darkness. You will have the light of life. This is a profound moment. They're standing here. The people that are listening to Jesus would have immediately resonated. Like the words he is saying could be visibly seen all around. He's making this claim to deity. He's claiming that he himself is God. And he's saying, as the pillar of fire led your fathers and your grandfathers and your great-grandfathers, as the pillar of fire led them through the wilderness, so will I lead you to an understanding of God. So will I lead you to an understanding of heaven. So will I lead you to everlasting life. So will I lead you to a life that understands purpose and meaning. So will I lead you to an understanding of where you came from. So will I lead you to know where you are going. Jesus captures the moment. He's so good at this. He brilliantly captures the moment that they're in, and he draws their attention with this phrase. I know the way out of darkness, he says. I know the way out of the darkness of sin, he says. I know the way out of the darkness of sadness and sorrow. I know the way out of the darkness of death. Follow me, he says, and I will lead you to eternal life. That's important. In verse 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of life. And then he follows up this, this metaphor with whoever follows me. Can I tell you the implication there? Sometimes we're around church. We're around Jesus. And we look to Jesus and we're like, wow, Jesus had some good things to say. I really admire Jesus. I really like what Jesus said here. We look to Jesus. We admire Jesus. But Jesus says, but are you following me? I'm not just a light to look at. I'm not just a light to admire. I'm a light to be followed. That's what Jesus says. He goes on later in, in the Gospels and he says, if anybody comes after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross. You know what he says? And do what? Follow me. He said to his disciples, follow me. And so the people of Israel followed the light in the wilderness. Here we see the disciples and many others who are beginning to follow Jesus and to follow Jesus. Listen to me. It means to give ourselves totally over to him. We defined freedom here just a few weeks ago when we celebrated three years as a church. We defined freedom in this auditorium. And we said culture defines freedom as being free from any sort of constraints and anything that holds us back. Jesus defines freedom as following him. As following him, everything, totally, in totality, giving our lives to him. And Jesus would say, it's not just enough just to look at me. It's not just enough just to admire me. I'm actually calling you to give your life to me, to believe in me, to walk in the light that I am offering. The light that I'm offering is not just for your eyes to occasionally see. It's for your hands and your feet to follow also. And so when we understand the gospel... We understand that Christ is calling us to this totally different way of life. A believer, Scripture says, never walks in darkness. A believer will, will, will let me clarify that, will, will never, won't live in it for a long period of time. 
A believer doesn't remain in the realm of evil and ignorance. Why? Because Christ is the light of our salvation. Psalm 36.9 says, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Now let me spend the second half of this message doing this. I want to I spend the second half of this message looking at how light influences the way we live. What's the implication here? So we understand, especially if you've been around church, I understand Jesus is the light of life. He's the light of the world. He illuminates things. But what's the implication for how I live? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, listen to what he says, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This concept of light is so fascinating because it's literally found throughout the pages of Scripture. Literally, literally, the first, the literal very first words, if you turn your Bible, you don't have to, if you turn it, because I'm going to put them on the screen, if you turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 1, the literal very first words of Scripture reference light. Let me read them for you. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth, listen to what it says, was formless, hold on to this, and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now listen to verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. The universe before God created it was formless. Listen to this. Listen to this imagery here. This is so good. Uh, listen, when you really get this big picture perspective of Scripture, when you really understand what all of Scripture is about, you're like, this, this so defines reality. Before the universe was created, the Bible says the universe was formless. It was empty. It was dark. And God says, let there be light. What was formless and void and empty, God began to fill with life. What was dark, God began to fill with light. Does that, does that sort of begin to resonate? Isn't this the record of Scripture? The rest of Scripture is filled with this idea of how God interacts with humanity and creation. The rest of Scripture goes on to tell us, listen to me, how God is filling the void that humanity has in his life. Scripture goes on to tell us how God is pushing back the darkness in our lives with his light. Now listen to me. There's a day coming. There's a day coming when God will restore Eden. That was the garden. That's my daughter's name. There's a day coming when God will restore Eden back to the way it was originally intended to be. There's a day coming when there's a new heaven. There's a day coming when there is a new earth. And listen, the Bible tells us in that day, there will be no need for a sun. There will be no need for a moon. We won't need that. Why? Because when we behold the glory of God face to face. Everything will be illuminated with such clarity that even the sun cannot rival. We won't have a need for the sun because the light will be in our midst. Genesis 1.1, God said, let there be light. That's the very first words of the Bible. Listen to the last words of the Bible. Revelation chapter 22, it's the last chapter in the Bible. Listen to Revelation 22. No longer will there be any curse, verse 3. 
The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Verse 4, listen to this. I can't read this without thinking of my father who's looking in the face of Jesus. People who have gone on before who are beginning to experience what we are longing for. Verse 4 says they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads and there will be no more light. Why? They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. The Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. Don't you see? The activity of God through Jesus is right now, today, 2019, April the 17th. What Jesus is doing is giving us a glimpse now of what's to come. When we follow Jesus, listen to this, you can write this down. When we follow Jesus, who is the light of the world, he's beginning now to restore form to what's formless in your life, just like a baby is formed through growth. And the Christian is being formed through what we call sanctification, a big word. Basically, it means we're being formed into the image of Christ. According to Matthew chapter 6, there are three factors in our formation. Our mind, our heart, which the Bible calls the seat of our affections, and then our will, how we behave, how we act. And Matthew chapter 6 gives us this idea of how the light of the world forms us. How what we deeply believe will control our heart or our affections. What we believe will deeply control our heart or our affections. And then whatever controls our affections will control our bodies and our behavior. Let me illustrate this. Have you ever been extremely fatigued because you're stressed? Anybody? Your body is just extremely fatigued from stress. You know why? Because your mind has believed something to be true that has led your heart to be anxious, or we call it anxiety, that has led your body to experience a physical effect. Jesus says what the light of the world, what Jesus himself is intending to do to transform us from one glory to the next, what he is doing in this process called sanctification is transforming what we believe, affecting how we feel, affecting what we do. But when we are outside of Jesus, we're operating outside of the way that, that we were designed to be. It means we're not created. We're not fulfilling what we were created to ultimately Fulfill ultimately means if we're outside of Christ, we've never trusted in Jesus, we are unformed. But listen to me. When we become a new creation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, when we become a new creation, the light of the world begins to form us. And I want to remind you this morning that the formation of God in your life is a marathon. Some of you need to hear this. Not a sprint. You're like, I've been doing this for a while and I'm tired because I just don't see progress. And some of us bail on Jesus because we're not seeing progress. Let me say this and then I'll move on. When you believe in and trust on Christ, he who began a good work in you will carry it on until the day of completion. Secondly, let me tell you what happens, how this light influences how we live. When we follow Jesus, the light of the world, he restores light by pushing back the darkness. 
He restores light by pushing back the darkness. Now that's up here. Let me bring it down here. Outside of Jesus, the book of Colossians tells us we are walking in the domain of darkness. When we come to faith in Jesus, though, the Bible says we are transferred out of that domain and restored into the kingdom of his beloved son. Can I say this to you this morning? If you're not a believer, you're welcome here, and we're so honored that you're here. If you're not a Christian this morning, the Bible says you live in this sort of, this sort of spiritual darkness. You don't fully see ultimate reality. You see some things, you understand some things, but you don't ultimately understand what is of primary importance. That's what Colossians calls the domain of darkness. And when we walk in the domain of darkness, it means we are trying to figure out life sort of without a map, almost like we're searching for this hidden treasure and we don't even know if we're even in the right ocean. That's what Colossians calls the domain of darkness. That's our spiritual state apart from Christ. That, that's how the Bible describe us, describes us. Even the things we think are true about life, they may or may not be true, and we will never really know. But listen to me. When we meet Jesus, the light of the world, this metaphor sort of helps us understand what happens. Jesus illuminates our heart. Jesus uh, awakens our heart. The Bible can now be understood in a way that couldn't be understood before Jesus. Listen, we read it now and our minds are informed by truth. Listen, do you get it? Our hearts and our affections began to be stirred and to be formed. And that fuels our bodies and our behaviors. And so when our, when our minds are fueled by the truth of Jesus, we're set free to worship. We're set free to enjoy God. Can I tell you, that's why we sing songs in this auditorium every single week that point us to Jesus, that talk about God, that tell us who he is, rather than just singing songs about who we are. Because we believe when we focus our minds on the truth of who God is and who Jesus is, our minds begin to be transformed, our hearts will be stirred, and our hands and our feet will walk in the light of Jesus. I get the question often, why don't I feel this way? Well, you can't separate feelings out from the totality of who you are. Your mind cooperates with your affections. Your affections cooperate with your behavior. But it all begins with your mind. And listen to me, this is the work of light. This is the work of light. So let me do this. Let me try to draw this illustration here about darkness and, and have just quite honestly a, a difficult conversation for a moment. Years ago when I was in youth ministry, we would take students on mission trips around the world to share their faith. And so we would take some of our students, our 11th and 12th graders, to Ireland we would have these moments in Ireland where we would have conversations about Jesus. And it's amazing what you hear, the things you hear when you ask people whether or not they're a good person. And when you ask somebody if they're a good person, of course, everybody on planet, every, out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of conversations I've had in Ireland and in other places, are you a good person? Everyone says, yes, I'm a, I've never heard someone say, you know what? Um, actually, no, I'm really not a good person. Everybody says, yes, I'm actually a good person. And you know the ones who are the proudest when you ask this question. You're like, you know, well, what I would do in this situation, even when they're not being asked what you would do in this situation, right? And so in Ireland, we stand on the streets, we have these conversations. We, most of the conversations start with, the, are you a good person? And having had hundreds of conversations, I know how everyone responds. Yes, I'm a good person. And then the very next question is, well, have you ever told a lie? 
Just even a simple lie. Well, of course I've told a lie. Okay, have you ever stolen anything, even like a pencil from your friend's desk when you were in middle school or high? Of course I've done that. And then we ask an awkward question. It gets really awkward. Okay, so you've told a lie, you've stolen something. Have you ever looked at anybody with lust? <laughs> it gets really, really super odd. They, they initially laugh, and, and then they're sort of embarrassed to say that they've looked at somebody with lust, and then eventually they say, yeah, I, well, yes, I've looked at someone with lust. And then we say, well, based on the Ten Commandments, just three of them, you have said you're a liar, you're a thief, and you are an adulterer. That's what the Bible calls in Matthew. So are you really a good person? And then that leads us into this conversation about Jesus. I've literally had it hundreds of times. At one point in the conversation, it gets really serious. And we say to them, if someone were standing on top of that building right now, and I gave them the instructions to unroll a banner, and on that banner, your name and your cell phone number were on there, and underneath your name and your cell phone number were all the things in life that you've done bad, all the things in life you've done wrong, but especially all the things you have done that you thought nobody would ever see. That you thought nobody will ever find out about this. And then it gets really serious for this moment. We say, what do you think would happen in that moment? If you're standing here, literally, you just got out of school with all your friends and you're looking at this banner, your name, your cell phone, they're like, this is, this is you. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, you did that? Oh my gosh, really? I, are you, no kidding. What would happen to them? You'd be embarrassed. You'd probably begin to feel shame. Probably some of your friends would begin to walk away from you. It would be a scary moment, a nervous moment. Why? Because all of us have hidden things that we don't want anybody to know about. These are things that we have done that we think we're getting away with. Nobody has ever seen. Nobody has ever known that we've thought about. Yet here's the reality. Can I say this to you? And this is going to be on the screen. Nothing is hidden from God. You have no secrets. And so for Christians, sometimes we... We live in this false truth. We believe, you know, well, I'm a Christian. I should be beyond and past certain sins. And when we begin to believe that lie, remember it starts in our mind, when we begin to believe that lie, we're drawn into the darkness of secrecy. Listen, and when we're drawn into the darkness of secrecy, darkness and death begin to trap us. As a pastor, I've seen this. I cannot tell you how many times. Saw it this week. Pastor friend told me just this week about his life of bulimia that he lived for years. Because of the lies he was believing about his body, he hid it for years. Think about a woman who's flirting in her office with another man, and in her mind, gladness and joy and satisfaction in her husband no longer are directed towards her husband. Think about how often these things take place. A man in an addiction to pornography, he feels guilt and he feels shame. And he says, you know what? I will never go back to this again. But time and time and time again, he goes back and he allows the trap of death and darkness to pull him in even further. Think about a businesswoman businessman who goes out of town, maybe even goes out on vacation. And they think, you know what? Nobody, nobody knows me here. What harm will it do to drink too much? What harm will it do to engage in drugs? What harm will it do to engage in sexual activity? Nobody knows me here. And so often we allow our lives to be trapped by 
darkness and death such that we believe if I came out and I confess, it will lead to something even worse than what I'm experiencing. I could lose my job. I would lose my reputation. I I could lose my family. And so what happens is we force ourselves to go back into the darkness and continue to be trapped by the darkness. We continue to allow darkness and death to set its grip on us. And the heartbreaking part of these stories is that people think they could keep silent and God eventually turned the light on. And God eventually turned the light on and their sin was exposed. I know a man who is in prison today. As we speak, he invited couples to come over to his house from out of town to stay in his home with him. And he set cameras to film them. God eventually exposed his sin. I know a man who hit a drinking problem for almost a year from his wife. He's lost all but his career He almost lost his entire family when God eventually had to turn the light on. Why? Because he wouldn't confess even when he was confronted with it. Our staff this week dealt with someone who was found in the act of cheating on their spouse. The husband nearly killed the man, literally nearly killed the man. God turned on the light. There's a story in Joshua chapter 7 of a man named Achan. God's army goes into this area And God gives very specific instructions not to take anything that you find in the city. Everything, the gold, the silver, anything of value is to be left to me and put into my treasury. And there's this man named Achan who decides to do the opposite. And Achan goes in and he finds this beautiful Babylonian robe. He sees gold and silver and immediately as he sees and then he begins to desire, he then takes. It starts with your mind. He took those things, he took them back to his tent, the Bible says in Joshua chapter 7, he dug a hole underneath his tent and he put those things there, thinking he had hid them from everyone, including God. And then there's this embarrassing scene. Achan was given the chance to confess his sin, and when he refused to confess his sin, God exposed his sin in a very public way. And not only is Achan's sin found out, but God does sit in such a way that the entire nation is watching. God exposed his sin. The end result was that Achan lost his life. Everything he owned was burned. David is also a man who knows about secrets after his relationship with Bathsheba. You know the story? After his relationship with Bathsheba and her husband was exposed and he murdered her husband, this is what he writes in Psalm 32. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy is the man in whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now listen to what he says. Psychology has recently discovered this, but the Bible has been saying it for years. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Do you see what's happening here? The mind is affecting the affections, is affecting the will. I acknowledge my sin to you. Listen to how David came out. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what did God do? He forgave David of his iniquity. Can I say this to you? David learned what some of us probably need to learn today. That when he's living this duplicitous life, 
And David was determined to sort of will himself out of the darkness rather than confessing. Therefore, he's projecting this ideal self that, that darkness has set a grip on. He's literally physically feeling the effects. Listen to me. The reality is when we choose to lie, the reality is when we choose to lie and thereby, thereby falsely believing that we can hide from God, we can hide from others, here's what happens. We divide our vitality. We divide our life. We divide our energy. We divide our gladness into two halves. We divide it into the ideal self that we're projecting to everybody, that we want everybody to see, and we divide it into the second half of who we really are, the real you. That God wants to, by the way, forgive and work in. Can I say to you this morning, it's crushing to project one and live the other. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. His death on the cross pushes back darkness. Can I say to you this morning, it's nonsense. It's nonsense to keep pushing an ideal self that doesn't struggle, that doesn't worry, it never has any problems. It doesn't need help. Christ exposed that already. You understand? That's why Christ went to the cross. He, he outed you already. He outed your sin. You were busted. His death on the cross continues to shout his help to you. I will shine the light into dark. The preceding verses here before verse 12 are such a great illustration. and We're going to close. A woman is caught in adultery. She's going to be stoned. She's brought before Jesus. In the midst of, of Jesus and all of these religious leaders, they ask Jesus what should happen. And you know his response. Jesus says, let him who is without sin throw the first stone. Verse 9 says, they heard Jesus say this, and they began to leave, one by one. They wanted Jesus to, to give this lady a death sentence. She's caught in shame. She's been outed. She's been busted literally in the act. Can I say to you, she didn't confess her sin. She didn't get caught in the act or, 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 or be involved in the act and later feel guilt and shame and say, you know what, I need to go tell someone. She was outed and she's drugged in front of Jesus. She's trembling in front of Jesus. She's laying there naked or partially covered in front of Jesus and she's waiting for the first rock to hit her in the head and to kill her. And she's listening to this dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisees. And then she hears the rocks hit the ground. Then she begins to hear the feet walk away. And then she looks up into the eyes of the light of the world. And he says to her, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? Neither do I. Go and sin no more. The light of the world has exposed the darkness. And rather than condemning her, he gives her the opportunity to repent. So John 3.17 says, For Christ has not come into the world to condemn the world, but rather to save the world from condemnation. This is an incredible example of the mercy of God. Remember that banner illustration? Everybody sees it around you. They begin to walk out. Lady is standing in front of Jesus, caught in adultery. Everybody walks out. Listen to me. When everybody walks out, Jesus steps in. 
That's so, so, such an incredible illustration here. Please hear me this morning. Let me close. If you're walking in unexposed sin, it will come to light, guaranteed. It will come to light in one of three ways. Number one, the Spirit of God will convict you and convince you to leave your sin. It will be embarrassing. There will be consequences. It could be painful, but this may be the opportunity God's giving you to come out of the trap of darkness and destruction and into the light. And I want to say to you today, the Spirit of God is speaking to you. Let verse 1 through verse 11 of John chapter 8 inspire you. The more we see the gracious, loving Father, the more we run towards the light, not away from it. If you're living in unexposed sin, God may give you the opportunity. Spirit of God convict you and convince you to leave your sin. Number two, God in his mercy exposes your sin. That's what happened here. It's embarrassing. It's consequential. I know of a pastor early on in his marriage was caught by his wife in his addiction to pornography. He'll tell you today, the most painful season of my life was being caught. Listen to me. But it healed me. But it healed me. Can I say this to you? The heart of the Father is not just to reveal the darkness in your life, but is to free you by the light. Understand that. You're like, I can't expose this. I can't expose it because of the consequences. That's not the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is not just to reveal the darkness, but to free you by the light. The same chapter we preached three weeks ago. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you believe that about the light, you wouldn't run from it. You'd run to it. Number one, God convicts you and convinces you to come out. Number two, God exposes you. That's what happened to Achan. Number three, this is the worst of all. God gives you over to your sin. Romans chapter one, verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So God gave them over, the Bible says, to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. This is the most dangerous place to be if you're living in unexposed sin today. God in your determination looks at you and says, I've had enough. This is what you want? You can have it. So be it. And this is the worst place of all because you become oblivious to the danger and the destruction that awaits you. There's a bridge out ahead and you don't even know it. So let me close by asking a question and then encouraging you with two statements. Do you believe there's darkness in you and that you need the light? Light reveals and to accept Jesus means to open up every corner of our lives, allow him to say, my child, there's darkness in you. Do you want Jesus to cast the light on things in your life? Some of us are afraid because we believe God's looking for perfect performance from us. God would say back to you, I'm not looking for perfect performance. I'm offering you a perfect relationship. Here's the statement, and I want you to remember it. God knows your heart. He still loves you. He's still for you. When you know the heart of the Father, you're not afraid to look into the light. You're not afraid to look him in the eye. And here's the last thing. A deep, humble understanding of my own darkness is the soil in which faith grows. 
In other words, somebody who realistically understands the potential for darkness in them would never say, that'll never happen to me. No, I'll never be that person. I'll never get caught there. You know why? Because a humble person understands the trap of darkness and says, given the right scenario, the right circumstance, the right person, the right environment, that could happen to me. And that is the soil in which faith grows. Do you have that humble understanding of darkness in your life? Are you allowing God to shine the light on your life, free you, allow you to experience the freedom that ultimately you really, really want? Let me pray for us. God, thank you for the challenging word. Thank you for the reality of light and darkness and how you've stepped into it. God, I pray today, I know there are men and women in this auditorium struggling and wrestling with hidden things. Remind them by the Spirit of God, nothing is hidden. You have no secrets today. Remind them of your heart for them, that you know them, God, and you still are for them, and you still love them. You are still for them in such a way that they would know the truth and the truth would affect their affections and the affections would affect their behavior and God, it would ultimately set them free. God, it's my prayer, our prayer, that you would heal marriages in this room. You would heal relationships. God, you would heal people personally, God, who are struggling because they've been trapped by darkness and death. And it's got such a strong grip on them today. They're wondering if they could ever come out. Today is the day you remind them, God, by the spirit of the living God, you would know the truth and the truth will set you free.